Hi, everybody. In my last video, which was called World Predictions for 2024, at the end of the video, I talked about the subject of non-judgment and how it saps our energy and our creativity and how it's in our own best interest to get out of that. I think my guides called it guilty pleasure of judgment. Well, there's no one more judged on the planet than Elon Musk. And I thought, I want to go ahead and take a look at this and wonder what it is about this man that engenders such hatred. Um, I've taken quite a bit of time, including reading this massive tome by Walter Isaacson on him, over 600 pages. Um, and I've watched many, many hours of full-length interviews with Elon Musk. I read, I read articles. Most days I'll come across something just trying to suss out what this man is all about. So I want to go ahead and launch into what I have learned. First of all, the one summary right at the top I've learned is that Elon lives his life like his house and his pants and his whole life is on fire. He has this manically driven desire for forward movement that drives everybody else around him absolutely crazy. But it's kind of interesting when it all gets distilled down. And I'm going to go into, I'm going to hopscotch through his life here. What his what his enemies even have to say about him when it's all said and done, once they don't have to be in the same room with him anymore. And I think you're going to, I was shocked by a lot of it. And I think you'll find a lot of it fascinating too. So in an effort to put a very complex figure out before us to start developing more nuanced ways of understanding each other and our quirkiness, we're going to use Elon Musk as our example. So first of all, Elon was born in South Africa. Many of you know some of this, and I'll, I'll go through pretty quickly, um, in a pretty violent uh, neighborhood and environment with a very, very tough father who ridiculed him and humiliated him, called him stupid a lot and was uh, very sensitive, a little brainiac. Uh, he was beaten up on a fairly regular basis and beaten quite severely. You can still see some of the scars on his face from some of those childhood beatings, which his father thought were good for him. He had no compassion for this. Felt like it would toughen this little guy, this little weakling up. It didn't do that, but it did bring about some other personality traits that developed into the future after having been bullied so much in his younger life. And one of the kind of trust-breaking events that happened to him again when he was young is because of the violence in the neighborhood, the family had uh, they had a wall around the house. They, they had a dog that was trained to attack anyone running. So if someone was going to kind of truck come and rob them, the dog would get them on the way out. And one day Elon was out playing and was running past the house and the dog attacked him pretty viciously and they needed to take him in to be sewn up. And um, he refused saying, no, not until you promise me that you're not going to hurt the dog. And so finally they promised they would not harm the dog. The dog would be fine. They took him in, had him sewed up, and then they shot his dog. This was from what I can see, one of those early first traumas to learn, you can't trust adults, you can't trust people. And it was a very heartbreaking event for him. Ultimately, when he reached his early teen years, he he begged and haunted, and this was one of his traits, apparently, he won't give up, just kept on his dad to buy him this little $300 computer. Ultimately, his dad bought him this fateful day bought him his first computer. Well, he started taking it apart and putting it back together in no time flat, figuring out how it worked, and then started creating little video games, games for kids in the neighborhood. Ultimately, this gave way to him developing pretty sophisticated video games. Now, this is in his early teens. So he 
was emancipated, more or less, came to the States at a fairly young age. Um, I believe his mother may accompanied him, and he was lifelong companions and still is to this day probably the most important person in his life might be his brother and his little son X now. We'll get into that later. But his brother Kimball, who's been side by side with him for every one of these ventures, trying to talk sense into him when he was manic and crazy and basically sitting there in awe when he pulled stuff off that was impossible. He and Kimball came over. Their their cousins came over to the States. A lot of them were kind of techie-oriented. And um, they had an opportunity to start developing video games, which he did, and got some interest and was offered a good amount of money to continue working the bugs out for one particular uh, game developer. And it was very early on that he said, you know, that's great, but I can't do that. That's not not what I'm here to do. That's not part of my mission. And he was very mission-oriented. He was looking at Mars from the time he was a little kid. I think his high school project was writing about the advantages of having a solar electric world. And obviously, we're going to get into that in a minute. He was very serious about all these things. These weren't just passing ideas in his mind. He was here to do something. And everyone around him knew that. One of the traits he had that was very confounding to his family and to his friends was that he would go into these trances. He would just, he would be in the middle of a room with people and then he would just zone out in what we would call a trance. I don't know what else you would call it. And you could, they would jump up and down and yell and flap their arms around him, trying to get him to come out of it. But he couldn't, he couldn't find his way out. And it turns out that's where he goes when he's looking at innovations or problem solving, or things, almost like a computer, everything needs to come together in his brain in a particular way. And the way he describes it is this, ever since I was a kid, when I thought of something hard, all of my sensory systems shut off. I can't see or hear anything. My brain is computing, and it will not take outside input. So Needless to say, that put him in the even weirder category among <laughs> friends and family. And because he was such a, such a misfit, with the rest of the culture around him. And this is partly because, as you probably well know, um, he he has Asperger's. He is on the spectrum. Now, whether or not this was officially diagnosed in his youth or not, everybody has come to the conclusion, including himself, that this appears to be the case. And he has most of the traits of someone with Asperger's. So social interactions, being able to read the room, read other people's faces is not you know, did not come easily for him. People didn't like hanging out and playing with him. So he would tag along with his brother and sister, hoping that some of their friendships would wear off on him. But as soon as they get into an intense discussion about, especially something he had mastery over, for one, he was, he studied history and he was a master gamer from a very young age at whatever level games were, he was a master gamer. If they, um, if they tried to mess with him, he would just call them stupid well, this is mirroring the way his father treated him, and this was starting to come out at a young age. And he distanced himself from people all the time by just coming out and saying whatever was in his head. He doesn't have any filters. So this unfiltered living actually exists to this day. And when I get to the end of this little share with you, I'm going to share what he had to say about it himself, um, which... It kind of makes you sad, you know. But anyway, let's just move on through his life. So he had a chance to make some money building video games and said, nah, don't want to do it. And at that point, he was already starting to think about, um, he had noticed this, it was early when Google Maps was coming up, this notion of 
putting businesses together in a computer with a geographical location. So you were able to locate them on a map. And um, he and uh, I don't think it was his cousin, another person started up what was called Zip2. And it ended up being pretty successful. It became like a living visual yellow pages back in the day when uh, Google was still developing and so forth, their Google Maps and such. They ended up selling. He was 23 and his brother, when he and his, his brother, yeah, it must have been he and Kimball founded this. And um, when they sold it, he was 27 years old. They, it sold for $307 million in cash. <laughs> he got $22 million personally and did what a 27-year-old boy would do, went out and bought a million-dollar McLaren in a condominium and ultimately crashed his car and started feeling kind of stupid, like it was a... A useless display of his wealth when he had better things to do and he needed to do. And so that quickly gave way to him founding X.com. And this was the original kind of platform that ended up being PayPal, although never in its fully expressed form. X.com was to be a PayPal platform for the people so you could instantly access and move money around between individuals. But also it was to ultimately be a platform where it could take micropayments for goods and services transferred between each other and, and, and pay for content, music and so forth. He had this grand vision that it was going to be kind of the everything platform. Ultimately, he met up with a man named Peter Thiel who had already founded and had created PayPal and a similar kind of platform. And they came together in partnership and everyone agreed PayPal was a much friendlier sounding uh, online platform than X, (laughs) which of course is Elon's favorite letter X. So they blended together and this required a lot of uh, programming, a lot of coding and so forth. So Elon is most comfortable when you leave him alone to grind away in the middle of the night on coding, which leaves him irascible and crabby and kind of just rude by day, which was really ticking everybody around him off. They they had a hard time dealing with him. They didn't understand why he had to go at such a fierce pace and drive everybody so hard. And ultimately, the board just, this is all very complex, but the board couldn't deal with him. They couldn't deal with his personality, and they wanted him out as CEO, and they voted him out. Now, the platform had come a long way, and it was doing well. So at the end, when they voted him out, including his co-founding partner, uh, like a little kid, he said, what did I do? I mean, why did why did you turn on me? Like he truly didn't understand why people were turning on him. And I'm sure he said, because you're freaking impossible to deal with. I mean, nobody can go at your pace. Nobody can do things in the way you want them done with the unrealistic deadlines that you impose on people. And I'm sure they handed it to him straight. But at the end, what happened, and it happened in, in almost every single one of these fallings out with other people, then when they were interviewed by Walter Isaacson, who wrote this book I showed you, they said, you know, he was a real jerk to be around some of the time, no doubt about it. But one thing is, he wasn't in it for the money. He was in it for the mission. He really believed these things had to be done. It was his mission to do it, and it had to be done properly, as best they could do it, so they could just win at their mission. That was a repeated theme, as they said. Oddly, he wasn't in it for the money. Here he's become one of the wealthiest people on the planet. But money isn't the driver. His missions are the driver, it appears. 
So after that, this is what after he was ousted, this was his comment on that. He said, I'm obsessive compulsive by nature. What matters to me is winning. God knows why. It's probably rooted in some very disturbing psychoanalytical black hole or neural short circuit. Ultimately, he stayed on with the company. He wasn't completely booted out. But nonetheless, he was no longer the CEO because he, he felt he should be because it was like it was his innovation. When he got out of there, they made him a $250 million payout. Okay, now he's getting into some very serious money. And this is when around the same time, because he always has many things going on in his brain at the same time. This is about the same time that um, he noticed that NASA was not, they had no mission scheduled to go to Mars or anywhere else for that matter. And this deeply disturbed him because since he was a little kid, he felt that human consciousness had to get off of Earth and be seated elsewhere. So the way he described it is this. This is another quote from him. He said, we've got this delicate candle of consciousness flickering here. The probable lifespan of human consciousness is going to be far greater if we're a multiplanetary, and I'm paraphrasing a little, multiplanetary species, just in case Earth is struck by an asteroid or severe climate change, or now he would say, or overtaken by digital consciousness, AI, which he has a great fear of. So anyway, he decided he needed to do something about getting the human species to Mars, and he was this is, I mean, he's all in. When he's all in, he'll put all his money, all his time, everything in on it. So that was the beginning of SpaceX when he decided one day he was just thinking about it and uh, talked out loud in his, um, whoever was in his company at that time. He said, you know, do you think it's possible for just a person to get enough resources and technology together to build a rocket? And that was the beginning of his quest. So ultimately, he, there was this... Um, program where he could go to Russia. He went to Russia, actually, to try to buy some old uh, rockets that weren't being used from the Russians. And the whole thing was a debacle. First of all, (laughs) they got him drunk. He passed out on the table with his face on the table. And when he came to these these crusty old military types, they were drinking too, uh, up the price on him from what they had said before he passed out. He was deeply Uh, hurt and he was insulted. And so he got up and left and said, that's it. No Russian rockets. And he was on the plane kind of feeling down on the way home. And his, his associates who'd been with him on that trip were sitting behind him, you know, chatting about this whole thing, the debacle that it was. And meanwhile, he's, he's doing some calculations sitting in front of them on the plane. And as he calculated, he said, I think we could do this. I think we can do it on our own. And they're like laughing at him, which they usually do. First of all, a lot of the people around him, they know how brilliant is it he is, but they don't take him seriously because of his sophomoric humor. When he when he's all wound up, he'll go and just play video games exhaustively until his mind is straightened out again. And he's apparently a master at that, which has a lot to do with his way of thinking and strategizing, too. He works a lot of it out in gaming, apparently. So anyway, um, he said to them, I think we can do this. They thought, right. So he handed them all of his calculations, materials, the physics, all of it. He handed everything he'd been working on in the airplane, and they looked it over and thought, oh, my God, we could do this. And that was the beginning of SpaceX. I'm not even going to go into that. Reading that, reading Walter Isaacson's book is worth it just to see 
how SpaceX came to be what it is today. Just phenomenal uh, grit, um, bullying, genius, inspiration, innovation all together is just a jumble of every kind of complex human emotion you can have around trying to do something that's virtually impossible. So if you want to know more about that, you can go read about it. It would take me another hour just to talk about the development of SpaceX. But the fact is that today, SpaceX, from my understanding, is the largest space company in the world in terms of uh, travel into outer space. They take um, payloads to the International Space Station. Astronauts are taken to the International Space Station as other rockets have satellites up for Starlink, you know, thousands of them all around the planet. I don't think he has a rival when you add all the other countries and corporations together. SpaceX is unrivaled, and it single-handedly started that day in the airplane when he said, I think we can do it. And they did. I mean, wow, it's exhausting reading that part of the book, honestly, because it's like, oh, my God, is, is it going to get up or is it going to crash? Is it going to blow up on the launch pad? And so anyway, that's part of that uh, pioneering mind. It, but it really ground people into the ground. Um, only the ones with the toughest spirit could stay with him because he was just exhausting everyone, again, with these unreasonable deadlines and this desire to get this thing moving and forward. But he did it. They did it. He had some brilliant people around him. In fact, the um, president of the company for the last 21 years has been this a remarkable woman <laughs> by his side. So she she's, takes over. She knows how his mind works. She knows when he's saying something that's absolutely impossible to let him calm down, see if it's still there tomorrow. Don't panic, everyone. And she can ameliorate all that to keep this company as um, innovative and viable as it is even commercially. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. While this started, about that same time he was getting his first launch in SpaceX, um, he conceived his little boy, Nevada, at Burning Man with his first wife, Justine. And this was another really traumatic kind of moment in his life. The, when, when they went to the wedding of a cousin, the little boy's name was Nevada. He was only 10 and a half uh, weeks old at this time. And children had always been very important to him. He loves, he loves kids. He's not a touchy-feely kind of dad, but he's an embracing, very participatory dad that wants to have them around learning and growing and experiencing life. He's, he's hands-on. He's, he doesn't just have kids and then dump them off on the wife. That's not how it rolls from everything that I've read. Anyway, during the wedding, he got a call from, um, the nanny in the room, and I believe by then some emergency workers had already arrived at the scene, and it was a case of SIDS, and um, they kept him on the little baby, Nevada, on life support for three days, and Elon was just inconsolable, and he had his hands on the baby when the baby, they had to remove him from life support ultimately, and he he had his hand on the baby's chest when his his heart beat, beat for the last time. And it, it gets me a little teary. I don't think he can really talk about it very easily at all. In fact, after that, he, his mother said he just howled. He kept howling like a wolf. He was 
in such despair. And he stayed that way for quite a while. Wouldn't talk about it to his wife, wouldn't talk about it to anyone. Just it was a black hole in the middle of his heart to have lost that child. But ultimately, he went on, as you know, to have other children and other children with other women, including, you know, the pop star Grimes. I'll get to that in just a little bit. It took a chunk out of him, took a chunk out of his life, and certainly was part of his high, highly reactive nature on Twitter when the Elon Jet fiasco came about and he canceled uh, the Elon Jet account because he said his his life and his family's life had been threatened and they were tracking where his jet goes and he would, did not want to let any harm come to his little boy X and his other children. And so he was he was really pretty rabid about it when it happened. So anyway, he and Gwen Shotwell is her name. She's the president of his company. They've continued on to this day. So that that brings us from SpaceX. Um, then he married an actress. That all started up around 2010. He married an actress, really lovely woman named Tallulah Riley, a British actress that was uh, pretty conservative, very sweet, very grounding. It, she really loved him and, and tried in every way to keep him amused and happy as best she could. But the fact is, no one could do that. Elon's not about playing. He's not about vacations. He, she could throw a kind of a geeky sci-fi you know, gaming party and he'd be on board for a while, but then they'd find him with that blank look spaced out with something coming through. No one could reach him. You know, it was pretty typical. And over time, he just needed, he needed the chaos and she couldn't handle it. They're still friends to this day, but she couldn't handle it. And she, she um, left the marriage. And I think that was painful, but at the same time, he understood. I mean, this is who he is. Uh, he's pretty impossible for somebody to live with, for most for most anyone to live with, with rare exception. So then, at this time, now now he's getting to, and Tesla's story comes into it, and he's like, we're ready to do this. We're going to build the best electric car, and, and uh, we're going to make it viable. We're going to make it so people, it's not a golf cart anymore. We're going to make it so people want one of these cars, and we'll keep working at it until we get the price down. And so that whole thing, the building up is quite interesting. All the uh, Silicon Valley elites were on board for the first Roadster version to say they had an electric Roadster that could beat anybody else on the road. And so that was that was kind of the cool factor. But his goal was to get it so that it was ubiquitous. Um, and that it would start really having an impact on the use of oil in the world. That was his goal. So he got the car to a certain point where they started rolling the model, the model S off. And finally his personal car came off the assembly line. And he, after all of this work and this, this, again, these manic schedules to get it out by, you know, a deadline that he created wasn't necessary. Um, his car arrived and he go he looked at it, his face fell and he said, This car sucks. And everyone was just like, Oh my God, what's gonna happen now? They went to work. They went back and refined every little thing. He said he thought it wasn't beautiful enough because there was a gap in the paneling on the inside door. Everything had to be beautiful and perfect. And this comes up over and over. Everything has to be beautiful and perfectly engineered, function and form. This is really big. So he he uh, basically kicked everybody's butt until the team came together. And he said, that, and this was the statement he made. I, I just pulled a few of the statements out of the book because I thought they were interesting. He said uh, he fired a few people because he thought the car sucked and it needed to be worked on and it needed to be refined. He said to everyone, this was a statement to the company, please prepare yourself for a level of intensity that is greater than anything most of you have experienced before. Revolutionizing industries is not for the faint of heart. 
Well, let's just say that was an understatement. And while he's saying his car sucked and it wasn't good enough, the same year, Motor Trend Magazine picked the Model S as the car of the year <laughs> for all of these, you know, obvious reasons and, and for good reasons. And the way he did it is he decided with both SpaceX and also with Tesla that the engineers and the designers sat together, worked together, had little offices next to each other, usually in the in the production of facility. So anything that was amiss, they could communicate quickly, fix it or innovate something better on the spur of the moment and keep it moving, keep it developing. So this is this is kind of critical to the way he did business. He he transformed the way factories are made. The factories are made so that these pieces can completely integrate with one another on the spot and that the designers and engineers can talk together constantly with the people who are actually manufacturing in the manufacturing on the floor, putting the vehicles and, and such together. So it's, it's kind of fascinating that way. So meanwhile, then comes the cyber truck. <laughs> I have to say, um, you know, I thought he's nuts. You know, this cyber truck, everyone, you know, certainly all the women that look at it say, oh my God, what a beast that is just ridiculous. And the thing's made out of stainless steel and it's aerodynamic, but it's made out of stainless steel. He loves stainless steel parts for even in rocket the rocket business. He just loves stainless steel. So the car is unpainted stainless steel. You can see it's, um, he said he wanted something that looked like it was from the future. That is the kind of vehicle that you would drive on Mars one day. And that was his desire. And everybody, you know, okay, it's your money, whatever. So they started working on putting the pieces together and so forth. And I thought, I can't see it. I'm, I'm not seeing any on the road. So the other day I drive down to the Tesla dealership. I live in the country, but I'm very modern. I'm all in for the age of clean energy. I always have been, and primarily because I can't stand PG&E. I want to get off of them. I've always wanted to as fast as I could. So I've had solar on my house for about 12 years now, and ultimately Tesla solar panels. And um, so toward that end, I also, in 2020, I bought a Tesla. And so the Model 3, the little one, the really I think it's really sleek and pretty, beautiful experience. I, I'm charging it with my solar panels on the roof out on the farm. And I also drive a Ford F-150, an old one, a 14-year-old F-150, because I need that too. And it also pulls my little trailer, uh, camping trailer around. So I go into the dealership because I'm doing this research. It's kind of checking in. And there's the Cybertruck on the floor. And I thought, Oh my God, it's so menacing looking. <laughs> it's so yang. And I noticed this happy party around the corner. An Asian family, when it looks like one of the younger men in the family had purchased this, this Cybertruck. It turns out it's the very first one that was ever delivered. I just happened to arrive at the moment when the first Cybertruck was delivered. And I thought, go figure. I mean, because I thought, what? how will this ever work? I can't imagine farmers and contractors wanting to drive this truck. So I go into the showroom. They have another Cybertruck on the showroom floor. And a salesman is talking with someone standing next to me, and I'm overhearing them. He said, uh, well, at this rate, yeah, there's a two-year wait list for them. And $250 down will keep you on the wait list until your, your number comes up. And I thought, because I thought for sure this was going to be a failure. But uh, right at this point in time, there's a two-year wait list for that Cybertruck. Now, I wouldn't want it behind me on the road. 
looks like it would slice your car in half if you got into a, a rear ender. But nonetheless, I mean, it has to qualify to safety standards. So I was wrong. And it appears that people are waiting for it. And it turns out it's probably not farmers and contractors, but it's men who want a really cool statement piece. And they go from sixty to $100,000 is what I learned. So the guy next to me said, I'm all in. I want the $100,000 model. And I thought, whoa, okay. Standing next to the truck gets us to AI. Standing next to the truck was Optimus. And some of you have seen the pictures online of Optimus, the little robot that was developed by Tesla, which is a very, it's just a very sweet, elegant looking little robot. And I was remember reading in the book about the development of it, where everything has to mimic humans. He's, um, Larry Page called him a speciest, meaning he was pro-human. And he he said it as an insult to him because he preferred human intelligence over AI intelligence. But he's, Elon's not stupid. He realizes that the game is AI. That's where we're going in the future. And his whole position, and in 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 is a very passionate position, is that human intelligence has to guide AI. It cannot become the other way around. So toward that end, he sees a future where households will have robots, but the robots have to be built with a a sense of uh, empathy toward humans and ethics. So they cause no harm to humans. That's critical to all of his AI development. It can cause no harm to humans. They can't turn on humans. So that the human mind and consciousness is the directive for the development of the AI. So in this case, little Optimus has been developed for something he sees as a household item, maybe uh, 25 years from now, where he said it in one interview that he thought it might end up being like the cost of a small car, but it would be a personal robot for households to do, you know, tasks that we don't want to do, repetitive tasks, just like everywhere else, repetitive or dangerous, uh, boring tasks. And uh, he sees that to free humanity so humanity can do more of what they want to do because he feels that one day, if we have a properly automated society where there's a lot of productivity, things are getting done, people have a lot of time to create and innovate and live their lives as they wish, and he would love to see universal income. That would be his dream. So the boring stuff has handed off to the robots, the humans get to shine, and they're all, they all get universal income. So, yeah, so, who knows? Who knows? That, anyway, that's his desire. So... The AI part of it we get into has to do with uh, a lot of fear people have around the Neuralink. Um, he initially started with Sam Altman, started Chat GPT. At the same time, Google was developing their own version. And he started noticing as each iteration came along, it was getting what he felt increasingly uh, not the directive per se of humans by the time it hit Chat GPT 5. Uh, he said in a recent interview, he feels that it's actually dangerous. So what he's he's trying to do his own version of it again Neuralink being part of his AI development and people are concerned because it's a chip that's put into the brain and he says it's to fully interface with the human brain at the brain so the human is the conductor he said the whole key to AI in the future is going to be who controls it he said it has to be controlled by the human being not by AI that continues to grow and feed upon and develop itself beyond um, what humanity might desire. So this is a very deep fear of his. 
So the Neuralink has been uh, has been researched for a while now. They're running studies. They use pigs and um, they, they to stimulate parts of the brain for certain movement to recover spinal cord damage. His desire is to ultimately have it so that it can help the blind um, see fully see again, and same thing auditorily have uh, deaf people be able to hear. And so he has a lot of big plans for it. It's still in the early stages of development, but has had some. I think there have been a couple of uh, human tests that have been run on it, and it's very promising at this point. But that's going to be well into the future before that's that's fully engaged. But when I hear people talk about him that that really detest him, and I say, what is it? Why do you hate him so much? And they'll usually say because of one of his tweets, you know, his tweets, the stuff he's tweeted is so sophomoric, so stupid, so politically incorrect, all true. And um, or because he has too many children with different women. And this offends a lot of people. First of all, if you understand his belief and it's not a belief anymore, it appears to be true. Um, I know I talked to the Z's about this. I talked to them about Elon Musk also, by the way, uh, when Lee Harris and I were recording our book, The Future Human. And they said, your world is going into a population decline, particularly over the next decade. Well, that's the same thing Elon has been espousing for quite a long time. And as he has said in a recent um, talk he did, an interview in Italy, he's, the, the uh, presenter asked him, well, you, what about Italy? Would you bring any Tesla business to Italy? He said, well, I would, but you don't have a replacement population, literally, he said it would not be a wise decision to bring a business to Italy if you're not creating enough Italians to be able to continue creating the product and doing the business. He said, that's the only problem I have. He said, I love Italians. I'd love to, but you don't have replacement population happening, which is true in many countries of the world, as as you know. So it turns out that wasn't such a stupid position he was taking, and he feels like he's doing his part with his kids. He has triplets and twins. I, I think he has a what, 10 or 11 now. And again, he spends a lot of time with them. Some of his kids work with him in his companies. Um, the one part that's been very challenging for him, and this crosses back to Twitter, is his son, Xavier, transitioned to a daughter, his daughter, Jenna. And he loves his daughter and he accepts his daughter for her new persona, her new identity. But it was interesting the way he talked about it because people think of him as very... Uh, not PC when it comes to the subject of transgenderism. He was fine with transgenderism, but he was not fine with this huge array of pronouns, which he found aesthetically very disturbing. So that was one of the comments he made. So anyway, you can read the tweets. Uh, a lot of you probably have and and don't care for him because of his tweeting. And the ultimate big tweet was um, prosecute Fauci. And this had serious implications. When he said that, this Tesla stock started tumbling, really started tanking. I think it ultimately went down to half um, because he was viewed as an ultra-right conservative, which he's actually not. He, he usually has, in the past, voted Democratic. Um, he doesn't care for Trump at all. But on the other hand, there are certain things that have gone too far. And in this Italian talk, he was talking about the whole woke movement and PC movement and why he goes at it like he does. He said, the thing is, cancel culture, the movement as he saw it, is that it not only creates shame to shame others, 
but it creates self-shame in saying that even being on this planet as a human being is killing the planet. And he is very opposed to that message. So anyway, you, all of you have your own positions on all of this. I'm just relaying how he has stated it, how he's positioned himself. And uh, so then the Twitter purchase, total fiasco. He tried to get out of it. Um, and uh, finally, as, you, as anyone followed it, the judge in Delaware said, nope, you're not getting out of it. And he thought, okay, well, we'll do what we can with it. So he, <laughs> he went into it. He bought it. Sale went through. He thought, okay, let's pare this thing down and make it efficient because um, he had short, I don't know if it was shortly before or after, but it was learned that there was intelligence interference. And that's why so many messages and people were being censored on Twitter. And he was very angry over the stuff around COVID that the people who had an opposing view to the government on the vaccines and wanted to talk about other science um, on um mRNA vaccines and ivermectin were blocked on Twitter and that ticked him off. So that was, that was part of his impetus to really become engaged in all of it. In any event, he goes to the Twitter headquarters in San Francisco, which is admittedly one of the most um, nurturing, I think is the word that was used, work environments anywhere. It's people um, have a lot of psychological, you know, days off for self-care and they have beautiful coffee bars with exotic coffees from around the world. And then they have a water bar with exotic waters from around the world. Well, Elon comes in there, probably all scrappy, hasn't slept, been eating donuts, hamburgers or whatever he normally eats, comes in there to check it all out. And he's just like shocked and appalled at the softness of the environment. He drinks scalding hot black coffee because if it's not microwave till it's boiling, he has no impulse control. So he'll just drink the whole thing. So that's how he keeps himself from chugging it. Um, it so anyway, and, and he drinks tap water. So he just did not, he was not down with what was going on there at all. I would love to have been a fly on the wall watching the woman in human resources explain to him, this is a very nurturing environment where we want personal safety is our number one value. And he's like, safety, you know, <laughs> he's, he's like, no, there is no work. I don't believe in work-life balance. And he doesn't, he doesn't. And he told him right up front, I don't believe in that. And so he fired 75% of the people only keeping on the absolute best engineers uh, to make the uh, technical functioning better for some of the features he wanted to add. This was a big deal. Everybody hated him. He has one son who's autistic, and they call him kind of the family sage because his truth is so direct. He just says it like it is. And he said, yeah, Dad, I can't go to that cafe anymore. Um, the people that know you're my father will hate me because you're ruining Twitter for everybody. And that really struck him. And with his daughter, um, Jenna, the transitioned daughter, Jenna, also um, really struck him to the core when she disowned him and said he was essentially a capitalistic pig because of all the money he had. And he was he was very wounded by that. And he started thinking about it. And he had some big mansions by this time. He had a lot of money, big mansions. And he thought, you know, I don't, they are excessive. I don't really need these. And he sold his properties. And people think in part it was because he was hoping to get back in the good graces of his his daughter. But instead, she changed her name and disowned him completely. And this is still, I think, I don't know if that's been healed yet as the printing of the book it hadn't. And he's very hurt because he really likes being close with his family. He, he, they travel with him. They, He's with his family uh, uh, 
all the time. Um, so yeah, that was, that's very hurtful. So ultimately you have little X Grimes, uh, two and a half, three years ago, they had a little, little boy that they named X. They go through this exhaustive process of finding these really kind of far out digital sounding names for their three kids. And little X is said to be just cherubic. He's just a little calming angel. And if you see videos, uh, he in pictures, um, he's with Musk quite a bit. I mean, he travels with him. He shows up on his shoulders at midnight meetings. X is with him everywhere. It's almost an appendage of him. It sounds like now that's just from what I've read and seen. I don't, I don't know the inside of their story. And, um, he allows him to, he, again, they say he's, he's not a particularly fuzzy, warm and fuzzy, touchy dad, although he's always holding him. He said, but he's a very attentive dad that watches him and very gently, one, in one case, very gently was pulling him back from a little bonfire that was happening and X is fighting and now, you know, wants to run to the fire and ultimately Musk let him go. He said, when my mom told me not to play with matches as a kid, first thing I did was go get matches and light everything on fire that I could. So he said, so he just kept an eye on him. He was okay. And that's kind of how he approaches his kids. Let them touch everything, taste, let them be excited. And that kind of brings us to the close of this. I mean, there's so much more I could go into, but I think this gives a bit of an idea of his personality from what I can glean from afar. And, you know, he doesn't have patience for people. If someone tells him something's impossible, he's just like is likely to fire him. He doesn't want to hear it's impossible, that's for sure. If they say they can't do it at his pace, they might he might fire him. And so he's left a trail of pissed off people. But they again, as I said toward the beginning, they all say the man's on a mission. He's he's doing this for because he really believes in everything he's doing. He's not just doing it gratuitously or to be the most powerful man on earth or to have the most money. That money has just followed. And um one in one way, this recent event, there was headline news was about his big uh, package, the big package payoff for Musk, which was I think fifty-two billion dollars or something. The backstory they didn't share too much was that back in 2018. Tesla was about to go under. He borrowed money. He used his own money. They, there was nothing more they could do. And he laid down a promise to the board of directors. He said, if I can turn this around, if I can get us productive and in the black, in, and it was a very short amount of time, um, I will do that for no pay, but I want to structure a package for down the road. Well, the company has done very, very well since then. It's a huge package. And his pants are on fire now to get back to the Mars project. So if it goes through, I, I don't know what's happening legally with the, the package, the payout, but he's very likely to turn around and put most of it back into the Mars project or whatever other project is looming. But he's expressed interest when he went into one of his trances last year. He came out and he said, we've got to get to Mars. We've got to get there. And I think he's feeling the pressure of AI. He, you know, again, impinging upon humans consciousness to such an extent that he feels we could seriously be in danger and he wants to get people off he's said to x when he was born you're going to live on they were looking at the stars when he was actually he was a little after he was very very young looking at the stars and they he pointed out mars in the telescope to him and he said you're going to live there one day me too and he believes that so all i can say is <laughs> this is a personality you, you probably wouldn't want to be working for you might not want to be married to or anything else but let me just leave you with this it's because i feel it's kind of interesting it kind of broke my heart a little bit 
Christmas 2022, his family gets together and they always ask a big philosophical question that everyone goes around the table and answers. And this year it was, what regrets do you have? And Elon answered, my main regret is how often I stab myself in the thigh with a fork, how often I shoot my own feet and stab myself in the eye. And he was talking about his uncontrollable immediacy of the remarks that go out unfiltered. He doesn't stop and think. He just tweets. And then the blowback from his family, from everybody around him is so great. He just feels like a fool. And so that was his comment on it is what the damage he does to himself is his greatest regret. So in summary, uh, with the author of the book, Isaacson said this, which I thought was interesting and appropriate. He said, does his audaciousness that drives him to epic feats excuse his recklessness and bad behavior? No. But it's important to understand how threads of a personality are woven together. It can be hard to remove the dark ones without unraveling the whole cloth. And then he went on to say, would a restrained musk accomplish as much as a musk unbound? Is being unfiltered and untethered integral to who he is? That is the question that you can answer for yourself in your own mind how you feel about this man. Um, it's been an exhaust, exhausting reading this book and following him through his life. I, I've never heard of such a productive human being. On another level, you know, I don't know how long he'll last in this world. He doesn't take care of himself. He doesn't sleep. Um, his idea of intermittent fasting is you have one meal a day of a milkshake, hamburger, and fries. And um, when you can, most days, some donuts and steaming hot, boiling hot coffee has a lot of digestive problems. So I don't know how long he is for this world, but he's living like he's not here past today, every single day, 24-7, for better or worse. So please feel free to comment and share your own thoughts on how you feel this kind of complicated personality um affects the world or how you feel about him, uh, feel free. I just ask everybody to be as mm, respectfully non-judgmental in terms of verbiage as possible, if you can. Till next time, thank you for joining me here on ReginaMeredith.com. <laughs>